Lord Jesus, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit who ministers to us, who comforts us, who reveals to us, convicts us, and overall is our comforter. We pray that during this time your Holy Spirit would speak to us in that still small voice and that you would utilize the living and active Word of God to allow us to hear your voice. Change us from the inside out, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon me and enable me to see what you're after today and to speak the truth. Lord Jesus, I pray in the name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen. Amen. I wanted to just visit Titus 3. We're going to go there in a little bit. And uh, we again, I've entitled this, Saved According to His Mercy. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this, uh, for one thing, just to issue what I think is some sound doctrine, I'll come back to that, but to cause us to be humbled and grateful. Now, I'm going to start out talking about how, how bad boys and girls we were, hopefully not are. But my intention is not to make us feel bad, but to make us feel grateful. And to see God's greatness and his love and his mercy. We should also never forget from where we came. Never forget that Jesus found you and you were a sinner and he saved you and washed you clean and, and regenerated you. We'll come back to all of that. But never forget where we came from. That's not for us to, to feel condemnation. It's not for us to feel guilty. Because Jesus has forgiven our sin and our so there's no more guilt and no more shame. That's not the purpose. And it's not for us to constantly rehash our sinful condition. It's good to remember, but not to rehash. Because the Bible says Jesus became sin so that you could become righteousness. And so we don't want to rehash that condition, but we neither do we not want to, do we want to forget that he became sin so that we could become righteousness. And when it's all said and done, as we speak to other people, we want to be able to communicate the basis for our salvation, the basis for our salvation. Now, in Titus, uh, which who is another one of uh, Paul's spiritual sons, we see in Titus 3, and if you would stand while I read verses 1 through 11, and I'm again reading from the English Standard Version, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. This was before social media was ever invented. <laughs> for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Again, but when the goodness, everybody say, but I, I'm not trying to get you to talk nasty. 
Don't you love it when God butts into your life? I'm glad for the day that God butted into my life. And I'm glad that he still does that. It didn't stop. It says, but, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Let's say that together. He saved us. Probably the three most important words in the Bible. Or at least the top five. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, block him on your Facebook page. No, that's not what it says. Have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. You can be seated. It's amazing how much the scripture pertains to where we live. Paul writes to this spiritual son of his, Titus. And in the beginning, I'm not going to go back and read it, but the beginning of the chapter, he says, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order. You might create order into this church in Crete and appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. And then in chapter 2, he says this, but as for you, teach sound doctrine. Another word there for sound would be healthy. Teach healthy doctrine. Doctrine that is good for our spiritual health. And so he goes and lists, you can go back and read it later on, or if I get boring, you can do it today. He lists what we would see as sound doctrine uh, in, in chapter 2. And then when he gets to chapter 3, he says, now remind them of these things. And that's where we are today. And I want to deal, first of all, today with the depravity of man. Now, I'm not a, I know Kevin Max here, and he and I don't always agree on this, but I'm not a total Calvinist, but I am a partial Calvinist. And I'm going to tell you which way. Anyway, you say, what does that mean? Well, there's an acronym called TULIP for Calvinist. Well, the T is total for total depravity. I 110% believe in the total depravity of mankind outside of Christ. There's no question in my mind. And without God's help, without God's grace, we would have remained so. Thank God we did. The depravity of, of depravity of mankind is found among other places, Romans 3.10. There is none, somebody say none, none righteous, no, not one, no one who seeks after God. Somebody said, why do bad things happen to good people? I heard Dr. Adrian Rogers the late Dr. Adrian Rogers say one time, there are no good people. There, are, there is none righteous. 
Not one. And he goes on to say, no one who seeks after God. And of course, Paul is quoting from Psalm 14 there. Ephesians 2, and I'm not going to read the verses, but you're taking notes. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7 tells us that we walked according to the course of this world, or we walked according to the moral or ethical system of this world. And that that uh, we followed the prince of the power of the air. We followed his lead, so to speak. He's not saying that we were all devil worshipers. Some were, but we weren't all devil worshipers. But before we were found by Christ, we followed the direction of the prince of the power of the air, which means that we lived in the passions of our flesh before Christ. We lived in the passions of our flesh uh, I'm not going to turn, but Galatians 5.19 will give you a good list of what that looks like. Uh, and we'll, we'll actually give you that list later on. And the, Ephesians says that we were carrying out the desires of the flesh and the desires of the mind. Again, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, so hang on. But I do want us to remember what we were. You say, well, I wasn't robbing banks and killing people. You were just as much a sinner as the person who was. Somebody asked me in the Bible study one time, do you think Jeffrey Dahmer could go to heaven? I said, if Jesus saved him, he could. Just as much as anybody else. Because God's grace and God's mercy covers all sin, not just the worst ones. Ephesians tells us that we were by nature children of wrath. Or we were by nature objects of wrath. We were, we were a people that were destined for God's wrath. Don't act like there's no such thing as God's wrath because it's real. And then he finished in Ephesians, Paul finishes up with this statement, like the rest of mankind, there's none righteous. We were like that, and we were just like the rest of mankind. That's a bleak picture. That's a bleak outlook. Thank God we didn't have to stay there, but it's still a bleak picture. And I wanted us us to understand that, like the rest of mankind. In 1731, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon entitled, God Glorified in Mankind's Dependence. I want to spend just a few minutes on that idea. The idea that God is glorified in the depravity of man. What? God's glorified in our depravity? Absolutely, because it gives him a place to show his glory. It gives him a place to show his mercy and his grace. And when when we, and we'll get to it, but when we try to prop ourselves up and when we try to supply a righteousness of our own, we are taking away from God some of that glory. God's glorified in mankind's dependence so that no human may boast. None of us can boast and say, well, you know, I, I did pretty good. I'm doing good. God only had to save me a little bit. He had to save you a lot. Doesn't work that way. I heard the example years ago of uh, if I engaged with the world's champion long jumper, and we went out to the Grand Canyon, and <laughs> I took off, 
and running as fast as, as I can, which is not nearly as fast as I used to could. And I jumped as far as I can, which is not nearly as far as I used to could jump. Uh, and he did the same thing. He took off and ran and jumped. He probably jumped yards further than me. But we both be at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Doesn't matter that he was better than me in long jumping. The result is still the same. God glorified in mankind's dependence. Deuteronomy says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you great and splendid cities, watch this, which you did not build. Don't miss that. Into the promised land, great cities, all of this stuff that you didn't build. Next verse. And houses full of all good things which you did not fill. And hewn cisterns which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. And you eat and you're satisfied. How about that? Do we understand? The Bible says what there's nothing, this is New Testament, there's nothing you have that you did not receive. Nothing you have that you did not receive. Well, then he goes on to say, Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Do not forget the depravity of mankind. Do not forget that there's none righteous, no, not one. Do not forget that we used to be foolish and chasing endless genealogies and such. Don't forget that. Remember it was the Lord God who gave you the righteousness that you did not provide. You could say amen right there. Just making sure you're awake. Somebody at home said amen. I heard them. It's God who takes the initiative. It's God who provides. It's God who makes a way. First John 4, 10 says, In this is love, or this is the description of love. Not that we loved God. So we think we come to God, isn't he, isn't he happy to get us? Hmm, not so much. He's happy to get us, but not because of what we bring. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love is known by the actions that it prompts. It says, God loved us. What's the next thing we see? Sent his son action. God did it. God provided a way. Bible says, while you were still an enemy of God, Christ died for you. Didn't wait for you to respond. Didn't wait for reciprocation. God did what God does. God really pumped up the ego of the nation of Israel in, in this light. And he says to them, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. 
In other words, the Lord did not find you. The Lord did not set his love on you because you brought him some, some asset. He did not set his love on you because he saw something worthy. No. He set his love on you because he set his love on you. Because it's his nature. Somewhere I wrote recently, I don't remember, it's either the Kernels of Truth or the article in the Chronicle, that you could take the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and where it says love is patient, love is kind, you could substitute God is patient, God is kind. Because it's not that God loves, it's that First John says God is love. That's his nature. He says, I, I, didn't, I didn't find you because you were this great nation of people, because you weren't. He basically telling them, you wasn't much of anything, to be honest. You were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. There's an oath in God. God is a covenant God. You could say accurately, God is covenant. God has made a covenant with you and I. God made a covenant with Abraham, Genesis 15. And because God is God, because God is love, and because the Lord loved us, not necessarily because of something in us, I'll come back to that, but because who he is. Because he kept the oath, which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand, redeems you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh. I want us just to see that it's God's way to find a people who are really nothing and bring them out and make them something. But if you and I are something today, the only reason we're a something is because God took a nothing and made it a something. Just a few, I'm not even sure which one, all of these, but just a few quotes from that sermon by Jonathan Edwards. He said God's aim in his plan of redemption is that man should glory not in himself, but in God alone. Man should glory in God alone. We cannot take into ourselves and upon ourselves any glory as it pertains to our righteousness and our salvation. He goes on to say, how does, how does that, how is that end attained? How is this accomplished by man's absolute, everybody say absolute, absolute dependence on God in the work of redemption? Let me just tell you that in the work and act of redemption, we'll get to this, but in the work and act of redemption, there is absolutely nothing that you or I can do or did do to bring us to that place. It was totally God. It was totally God. Because we were completely unworthy of his gift. Instead, as Ephesians teaches us, we merited God's wrath. We were objects of wrath. 
We deserved God's wrath. Years ago, a man by the name of Gordon Jensen wrote a song, said, I should have been crucified. The only time I've ever sang on TV, I sang that song. I should have been, he took my place because I'm the one that should have been crucified. I'm the one that deserved his wrath. And yet Jesus took the wrath of God in my stead. Salvation isn't just God forgetting it happened. It isn't God just doing what sometimes we parents would do, act like it didn't really happen. Somebody had to pay the price. And Jesus, upon that cross, took on the wrath of all humanity, the wrath of God that was intended for you and it was intended for me. He took that upon himself and cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? Well, God had forsaken him because he was at that moment the embodiment of sin for all of mankind. And enduring the wrath of God, we were, that was our destiny. There there was nothing in us to attract him to us. There was nothing we brought to the table that caused God to say, well, that's a pretty good kid right there. I think because they're better than that one, I'm going, I'm going to save that one. It's not the way it works. God said, if uh, Exodus 33, he said, I'm going to show mercy to whomever I want to show mercy to. Imagine that. Imagine God acting like God. Imagine God deciding that he's going to do what he's going to do. And he didn't ask us for a vote. God is glorified in the work of redemption through this great universal dependence on him. It's that vacuum of righteousness. It's that vacuum. You say, well, that was a failure. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. That was a failure. God will take your failures and redeem them just like he did that one. Of course, he probably already has. Hmm. Help me, Lord. Our universal dependence on him creates an atmosphere and a place where God can be glorified. And it's through that dependence that we have greater occasion and obligation to acknowledge God's character. It's understanding the depravity of mankind. It's understanding that we are absolutely dependent on God. It's understanding that without God's mercy and grace, we would still be objects of wrath. It's that understanding that causes me to give glory to God. Well, I sure can't give any to myself. This dependence demonstrates the greatness of God's glory compared to the creatures. The greater that we exalt ourselves, so much less we exalt God. To the degree that we're trying to find some flicker of righteousness, some flicker of something in us that God ought to be proud to get, to that same degree we are not exalting the Lord God. We're not giving him his glory. And by contrast, to the degree we are emptying ourselves of anything that we might consider worthy that God would think was great, to to that degree we are giving God full glory and full praise. 
God, therefore, has our whole souls, and he should be the object of our undivided respect. The warning is that if we had our dependence partly on God and partly on something else, we would divide our respect among God and the other. A friend of mine one time was teaching, and he said the problem with a lot of people is that Jesus is a very important part of their life. If Jesus is a very important part of your life, the fact is he's really no part of your life. Jesus cannot be a very important part of your life. Jesus must be your life. Him and nothing else. And so what we're saying is, and what Jonathan Edwards said, is that God has made man's ruined state through the fall an occasion for the advancement of his glory. Let God be God. And any teaching that takes away our absolute dependence upon God attempts to diminish the glory that God deserves and and thus to thwart the design of of our redemption. I say this because our our Western culture, we are inundated with ideas, songs, teachings, whatever. We still have this little flicker of something in our brain that says we are pretty good people and we can do some good things. And you do and you should. I'm getting coming to that too. But we have this idea that we that our Our promotion to heaven is dependent upon something that we do on the earth. And I'm going to tell you today that your promotion to heaven has absolutely nothing. Everybody say nothing to do with what you do on earth. Except to say yes to the Holy Spirit. That's why we can say that salvation is by faith. For faith is an acknowledgement of absolute dependence on God for salvation. Faith in God declares that man can do nothing and God does everything. Let's let's read that together. Faith declares that man can do nothing and God does everything. Somebody read that like you didn't believe it. Let's, Let's read it like we believe it. Faith declares that a man can do nothing and God does everything. That's the basis of what I'm saying right here. So that he receives all the glory for redemption. All the glory. I hope we understand what I just read. I think this is the the key. um, That God has made our ruined state an occasion for the advancement of his glory. He's taken what the devil meant for bad. He's turned it into good. He's taken the fall of mankind, which he knew before the beginning of time that was going to happen. Uh, do you say, well, why in the world did he, did he put them in the garden to begin with? He needed to give them the opportunity to fail. God never wanted robots. He never wanted wind-up dolls. He never wanted us. He wanted us to have a choice. They made a choice. Their choice ended up in the uh, tainting of the bloodline of the entire human race. 
So then he took that condition, and now we're going to create a situation where God's glory is advanced because of the fall. But God. But God. Regardless of that condition. But God, who is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Mercy can be defined as active compassion. Active compassion. God, whose very nature is mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy, when the goodness and the love of God for mankind appeared. In the midst of the all we've been describing, in the midst of the depravity of man, in the midst of the description in Ephesians 2 of the human race, in the midst of that, but God, who's rich in mercy, when the goodness and love of God for mankind appeared. By the way, the scripture teaches us that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. I think some street corner preachers could learn that lesson. That screaming and yelling and condemning and hellfire and brimstone almost never causes people to come to repentance. But it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. That's what led you to repentance. But when the goodness and love of God for mankind appeared, here's those three words again. He saved us. He saved me. Hopefully he saved you. He saved all who name the name of Jesus and are a part of his family and his kingdom. He saved us because we we needed saving. If you've been listening to me the last several minutes and you don't believe we needed saving, saving as one of my boys told my one of my other boys one time, you ain't studying. He we needed Saving. And here's the key. Not because of works we have done in righteousness. Hear that. There is no salvation that is earned or created through the works that we do. Even the ones in righteousness. No salvation. He didn't save us because of the works we have done. Ephesians 2.9 teaches us this is not your own doing so that no one may boast. None of us can say, well, I was a pretty good fella. No, you weren't. Oh, yeah, you might have been a nice fella, but in the sight of God, you were a sinner. And by the way, let me just stick this in here. I didn't know where I was going. When God forgave you of your sin and you were born again and you became a new creation in God, God did not stop forgiving your sin. The sin you committed yesterday, he forgave that one too. Now you got to, first John tells us if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But God didn't just, some people think that God, when we got saved, God forgave us of our sins from their back. And we're on our own from now on. No, it covers us to the day we die. By the way, we still need his mercy 
until the day we die. Hebrews 4.16, let us come with confidence before the throne of God, the throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. We still need his mercy. Isaiah says all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. You can't bring it to God and say, well, this is pretty good. How about, how about instead of saving me 100%, how about I'm, I've already made it 30%, so you, God, you've only got to do 70%. How many of you know some people do that? When I was in high school, I'd try to witness to my buddies. And I don't know how many times they would tell me, well, when I get my act together, when I get my life straightened out, I, I just couldn't do that right now. I, I heard somebody the other day saying they were speaking with someone about the Lord, and they said, well, you know, if I if I accept Christ, I'm going to have to stop doing all this stuff. And they listed things, you know, that they didn't want to stop doing. And this guy wisely told them, you haven't got to stop anything. You haven't got to stop doing anything. You just come to Christ. Well, he, what he didn't tell him was, the Holy Spirit would deal with that. Jesus said, when he said, he's talking about making them fishers of men. He said, I tell you what, boys, if you catch them, I'll clean them. I'll clean them. As we continue on in our faith, Paul asked the Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And that's where we, as Christians, we have to be careful. Yeah, we're born again. We're saved. So now my righteousness is tied to my, my fleshly activities, my, my works. No, it's not. Now, works are good, and I'm going to come back to that. You say, you keep coming back to everything. We'll be here till Tuesday. <laughs> Having begun, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He said, not according to your works, but according to his mercy. Nothing to do with our works. Everything to do with the fact that God is rich in mercy. Deuteronomy says, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. God himself, in describing his character to Moses in Exodus 34, said, I am a God merciful and gracious. He doesn't, he's not a God who exercises mercy. He's a God who is mercy. And of course, Peter, really sums it up well when he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, we've been born again. Not according to our works. Not according to the things that we can accomplish. Not according to the good things that we bring that he sees as filthy rags, but according because of his mercy. Then he goes on to talk about the washing of regeneration, which is being born again or experiencing a rebirth. Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot 
see the kingdom of God. Cannot, not able to see. Ezekiel tells us that God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. God is the one who washes you with regeneration. Regeneration is not just that we make a decision and something happens. Regeneration is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, comes in you, and begins to change you. And you once were dead, but now you've been made alive with Jesus Christ. Something changes inside of you. A miracle that you cannot do. A miracle that no one can explain. But a dead man on the inside becomes a living man by God's work. Because the washing cleanses us from all of our sin. Paul says to the Corinthians, and such were some of you. He's encouraging, isn't he? But, here he goes button into your life again, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And watch this, by the Spirit of our God. This is why in 1865, Elvina Hall could pen these words, among others, For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Because Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain on my life. But God washed it as white as snow. Washing. Amen. And then he says, a renewal of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is done without the power and the working of God's Holy Spirit. As I said earlier, we were dead. We were made alive. And that happened by the Holy Spirit and his renewal and renewing us. We were justified by grace, we were heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Why? Because of his mercy, according to his mercy, not our works. Then we were people that we, we moved from sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. Those are described in Galatians 5.19 as the works of the flesh. But God, according to his mercy, moved us from being in bondage by those desires those desires of the flesh, and guess where he takes us? Oh, this is great. Just as bad as that is, this is just as great or better. He takes us to the fruit or the result of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces in us this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I've heard when I was younger, I used to hear people refer to that Galatians 5.22 as the fruits, plural, of the Holy Spirit. And that's inaccurate. It's not the fruits. It's not a list. 
When you have the Holy Spirit, you receive the fruit, singular, and that fruit looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. It's the fruit, not fruits. It's the Holy Spirit, not a bunch of spirits. Because of His mercy. Because of His, according to His mercy. And by His grace, we're saved, lest any person should boast. And you say, well, I thought we were supposed to do good works. Look at verse 9. Let's see. Not verse 9. I wrote that down wrong. Verse 8. He said, I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Well, now you're just confusing me. You're talking about we can't be saved by good works, and then you want those of us who have believed to devote ourselves to good works? Which is it? Yes. We are not Christians because we do good works, but we do good works because we're Christians. Ephesians 3.10, we, 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 especially of us who came up in a Baptist tradition, we can quote, you say by grace, lest any man should boast. But we stop when we get to verse 10. Verse 10, we are his workmanship created unto good works. We're supposed to be doing good works. But please, please don't ever even have a flicker, a flicker of a thought that says this will earn me some righteousness in God's eyes. You can't get any more righteousness that you got when you were born again. You got it all because you exchanged garments with Jesus Christ. He took your sinful garment and took it to the cross and you took his white garment of righteousness and you wear it today onward to good works. I hope that's, this helps us to be grateful. I hope it helps us to see God glorified in the depravity of man, in our depravity. I hope this helps us to be able to communicate to people outside the faith and outside the kingdom that they don't have to clean up their act to come to God. They just have to respond to the Holy Spirit. I heard a very well-known preacher this week on the radio, someone I greatly respect and someone I listen to and will continue to listen to, but they made salvation sound like almost, hey, uh, this is what you need to do. You just need to decide to accept Jesus. And that's, that's just, you know, it sounded like it was some, some just a, a, a rote experience. Sound like you heard me say some guy sitting around saying, well, there's nothing good on TV today. I think I'll accept Christ. And sometimes we present that. Let me tell you something. You do not get saved. Here, I'm getting back to my Calvinism, Kevin. You do not get saved when you're ready. 
You get saved when God's ready. And when God calls you. When God draws you by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Which should make us even more grateful that he called us. Revelation says those in heaven will be the called, the chosen, and the faithful. Thank God that God has called you. Amen? Amen. Well, enough preaching. Stand with me.